Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 363 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. We're really excited today. We have a fun topic that allows us to wax a bit nostalgic and hopefully bring everybody along into this very, I don't know, like this collective experience that is the muscle memory of motherhood. And regardless, like don't leave us if you've got teenagers and tweens. This is as much for those of us who've been out of the little years as it is for those who are in it. And Megan, do you want to tell the little story of how how this came about? Yeah, I love this. So we met up in Texas um, a couple of weeks, a couple, two, three weeks ago now. And we actually had um, dinner uh, with our contributor, Joanna. And afterward, we were just sitting around having a drink in the hotel lobby. And she was telling, I think, a funny potty training story, yeah. I think is where it started. And we were it, commiserating like, kind of, about we were commiserating. Potty, potty training. And then it kind of just devolved into one of those conversations about that are a lot about poop and like bodily fluids. And I just said this should be an episode because I could remember and we'll get into it later in the show, but like a very specific um, sensory memory that I could remember not only how it felt, but how my body like, like tensed up in certain ways or like the muscles that went into performing this motherhood act that you'll all know about when I say it later. But like, I just thought to myself, like, oh my gosh, there's so many of them and they don't ever go away. But now that I haven't had little kids for a long time, I kind of forget them sometimes until I see something or hear about something. And it's like my body just instantly goes back to that place. Yes. Yes. I think muscle memory is the only term that accurately describes it. But in, in the specific Joanna potty training poop related muscle memory, we were talking about how adept, how how dexterous, how good we get at certain physical things with our kids that you would never like list on a skill set. You would never be like, oh, I do this repetitive motion, you know, like repetitive right. stress, like uh, the repetitive motions of motherhood are not really something we talk about. It's just something you do over and over again. So the way that you know how far to pull that diaper tab and like how how far from the other one it needs to be until you kind of know, Oh, I think we need to go up a size. Like there's all of these skills that are, I think a combination of physical and cognitive skills that like nobody gets credit for. And it's only in retrospect that we're like, Oh my gosh, that was like, I got really good at that or really good at anticipating that movement. Yeah. And I was actually just thinking about, there's like a particular kind of muscle soreness that I have not, I don't really think experienced since early motherhood for me, I bet it's different for everybody. We probably all hold tension differently in our bodies. But for me, it was like this lower back soreness that came from like crouching over the bathtub or bending down or stooping. Like I remember feeling old before my time. And that was part of it because there were certain muscle groups that were just getting used in 
super specific, repetitive ways over and over and over. How about this? I'm going to paint this picture. It's not even on our list that we said we were going to talk about, but you have a baby on one hip. Let's say it's like a nine month old baby, not a tiny baby, not a huge toddler. And you're going to bend over to pick something up off the floor. So you like shift the baby mm-hmm. up and slightly back and you like pop your hip out of socket and kind of lean over <laughs> like you're yeah. doing like a yoga. You, can you picture what I'm saying? Like you don't oh, actually yeah. bend totally. over. You sort of like you use counterbalance with the baby and you tilt over and you get the thing. But you're so right. I actually I have some like early dancer career, lower back issues that would flare up in early motherhood because of all that improper, incorrect bending. And I don't have my lower back problems hardly at all anymore. Even though I'm many years older, my back is in much better uh, shape. So, so you're right. There was definitely a crouching, bending, stooping, um, side bending. Well, and when you're talking about like holding your baby on your hip, it's also like relative to your baby because you know, your body knows how heavy your baby is. So when it's a counterbalance situation, like you've figured out how to actually counterbalance the specific weight of your baby or your toddler or your preschooler. It's like it, it, I de- or it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like customizes yeah. over time. Yeah. 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 And actually that is a muscle memory in and of itself, like the weight and the feel of your own babies. Cause I've had the experience of having nieces and nephews like much later and going to pick somebody up and being like, oh, you're lighter than I expected. Or like, you're, right. and, and I think it's because we had this, like, this sort of cellular based knowledge of the feel, the heft, yeah. the weight of our yeah. own babies. So that's the what squish. we're talking about. The, the squish. squish. Yes. yes. <laughs> the amount of some babies are like squishy and some are a little bit um, denser. Yes. I mean, it's so funny. And like the way your fingers sink into their little arms. Yes. Another thing that came into my mind when I was, when we were kind of, we didn't categorize them for the purposes of the show, but before when we were kind of bantering about these ideas, it's like some of these are warm fuzzies. Some of them are like danger aversion. And some of them are more in this like uh, tenseness. There's like, there's like a, a conflict or a tension happening in your body that plays out in the sensation. So one that comes to mind is like, you know, the, you, the baby might wake up and maybe you're working on something. And it's like, if the baby does wake up, you feel that all over body tension because you wanted a few more minutes. But at the same time, your body responds to your baby because you actually do want to pick your baby up. It's like, there's this conflict happening at all times where it's like, I want you. No, I don't want you. Yes. <laughs> I want you, but just go to sleep, but not here. It's yes. so like confusing. And that just sums up basically the entire experience of motherhood. Do you, this is a little sidebar, but do you feel like at 44, you're more in tune with like the, just your, like your body in general and the way your body responds to stimuli, like you just described, or did you have that awareness when you were 22 and a young mom? Um, I think I had the awareness, but didn't know, well, not at 22 necessarily, but I think I grew with like, as I added more kids and noticed what would bug me and what wouldn't when my kids were little. I think I developed that awareness through motherhood. I will say there was also that feeling of futility. Like, what does it matter? Like, what does it really matter if this, you know, particular thing makes me nervous or tense or anxious or stressed? Like, there's nothing I can really do about it, which is where I developed my, um, in like my really superhuman ability to zone out, which I have lost. I don't have that ability anymore. And we've talked about that, like the ability to be in a room, um, interacting with your kids, but not really be there. Mm -hmm. And your voice just Clara calls it my passive voice. Uh (laughs) She's like, mom, I can just tell when your voice goes kind of passive that you're getting stressed or tired. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, but I've lost the ability to do it the way I did when they were little. I could just, I mean, I could float basically above the room sometimes. So it's one of those things you have to learn how to do. Yeah. 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 What about you? What about you? I don't think I was as, I think I'm such a cognitive person. I think about thinking a lot. I think about a lot of things, but I don't think my thinking and my feeling and my body were as connected as a younger mom, as I am starting to feel them now. Like I'm just starting to notice more what a stimuli like, like a baby waking up. Or for me, it was like coughing in the night. My whole body would tense up because we had a lot of like a lot of bronchitis and a lot of pneumonias in my Mm -hmm. kids. And I, now I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was a stress response. And I was, my body was like responding in all these different ways and in the warm fuzzy ways too, in, in all of the positive ways too. I think it's mostly in retrospect that I'm recognizing that. And I wonder if today's newer moms 
have a little bit more language around that. I think there's been some great work, some great books and reading and podcasts that maybe in general, we're all a little bit more aware of that mind body connection now than 10 or 15 years ago, or maybe I'm just, I I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. Yeah. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah. So again, not doing any any particular order, so we'll kind of jump around. But the one I want to start with is definitely baby-related and pretty young babies. Um, So this one just came to me today as I was, I don't know, like walking around my house thinking about this episode, and it made me smile so big. And it is the feeling of your baby's gums chewing on your knuckle. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who's ever had a baby who likes to, I mean, most babies like to mouth things, but some babies are particularly mouthy and some babies seem to be like teething forever. And that feeling of like, this will amuse them or this will keep them happy. And like the very, they have really strong little jaws. Uh Um, And the feeling of like that firm gum, you know, that firm, like wet, sloppy gum Uh chewing on your finger. And then how it starts to feel a little bit different when they start to get just little teeth. Yes. And like, they've got the little teeth bumps um, and like, you can feel it. And then their teeth get too big to do it anymore. And then you start to know it's like, Oh, nope. That it's, it's past that time. You cannot chew on my knuckle. That, that hurts. Um, That is just one of those visceral memories for me. And you know, like if it's your baby and it's, you know, probably other people's babies aren't chewing on your fingers especially in this day and age, but you, you even know the way they like it. Like you start to develop the ability to be like, Oh, they really want to chaw harder. So I should give them a little more knuckle to work on, or they really just kind of want to suck on it. So like, it doesn't matter. I mean this, they like this knuckle better than that. It's like, you can purely customize it to your particular baby. And that is so cool. I love it. I love it too. I think I even remember being before I had my own babies, either noticing or learning that that was something babies liked and that it was, I think in my mind, it was somehow more hygienic than just letting them suck on your finger, which 
I mean, that's splitting hairs a bit. If you're if you're sticking your own hand in your baby's mouth, like you're sort of accepting a level of shared <laughs> germs. But right. thinking like your knuckle is somehow like I don't know, like a more well, suitable not, chew you, toy. You don't have fingernails. That's exactly. probably why yeah. I would do it. Like there's no nail there to either be germy or cut their little roof of their that's tiny little point. mouth. That's a good yeah. point. It, it does yeah. make a good chew toy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what about this one? Uh, we were both pregnant multiple times. So my first muscle memory is actually pre-delivery. But I have this mem- memory of being very, very pregnant and how awkward it got to stand in front of a sink wa- washing dishes. And I can feel like the side angle, like the side, you don't have abdominals anymore at that point. So you're sort of like torquing, you're twisting yeah. to move your belly out of the way to reach the dishes, reach the sponge. And then the associated muscle memory for me is after delivery, even as, you know, as many aches and pains and I had C-sections and I had some pain. And of course you're not like, you don't have your old body back, but you almost immediately can stand flush with your middle to the kitchen sink and wash dishes. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Everything (laughs) else feels hard, but this feels so much easier because I don't have this giant thing in the way. What's funny about that is I'm just a few inches taller than you, but for me, I had to get pretty like I had to be hugely pregnant before that was a problem oh, um, right. because my belly was just a slight bit higher. And then suddenly there would come a day where it would, my belly would like, you know, drop. Yes. And I'd be like, oh, I guess someone else is doing the dishes yeah. or you're standing way back and then you're getting all splashed because like water is going everywhere and your big pregnant belly is covered with water. That's yeah. So funny. I, I didn't think too. about the height thing. You are a few inches taller and your legs are also a lot longer. I also have a longer torso. So re- our belly uh, height would be even a greater distance than just our overall height. Yeah. So you're yeah. like, you're like up over the sink back yeah. or the, whatever that's called, not the backsplash, yeah. the, the front splash part, the front splash, the front yeah. thing of the sink. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the skirt, right. Is that the skirt of the sink? Sure. The front. Okay. It. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, the next one, um, I have to give us both credit for coming up with this one because we came up with this one at the exact same time today. We were like independently, like voxing back and forth about this topic. And then we both had this idea pretty much at the same time. And that is that feeling when you're nursing a baby and they, they fall asleep um, and you want to put them down and you know, like they've kind of started to, they've clamped down, they didn't release. And you have to like stick your finger in their mouth and like push your nipple, like break the suction yes, and push, break the suction. Yeah. And push your nipple out. And sometimes I had baby, a couple of my babies um, would grind, not grind their teeth, but clench their jaws really hard when they fell asleep. Like right at the moment they fell asleep, oh my gosh. there would be this moment where they would clamp down super hard and I had to get to them before that. So that became like an additional skill on top of that, like, bloop, like the release skill. And it was like, my finger would sometimes be at, like at the ready when I started to see their eyes flutter <laughs> because I knew it was like that sweet spot. I didn't want to do it too soon yeah, because then they wouldn't fall asleep or they'd wake up or be startled. But I, if I waited, it would be extremely painful. And then what do you do when like a baby's asleep, but like chewing (laughs) and, and it hurts, but you can't react because you'll wake them up. So I don't remember the clamping down as much, but sometimes I do remember the heaviness of their head. Like, let's say their head started to loll back, but they, but they were, they were asleep, but they were still latched. Like you'd feel the pull. So I just remember yeah, there was a little corner of their mouth, like around their lower lip and tongue that if you just like just got in there with a tiny bit of air, you'd break that suction and then they would stay asleep. But you would not have your nipple stretched, you know, to the next room. So but then do you remember the, like the gross feeling of putting like your soggy nipple back in your bra? That's another feeling I I'm glad I'm not experiencing anymore. It's just ugh, no thanks. <laughs> well, let's let's stay with this one this this theme just for a second because I don't know that there I don't there's a no way for me to experience this next muscle memory ever again and that is just the indescribable sensation of milk let down if if you breastfed like I remember not having any idea what that would feel like and then being like oh okay now I know what this feels like and I also remember like years after I was done nursing feeling like like hearing a baby cry or feeling some others trigger or stimu- stimuli and thinking, oh no, my milk's going to let down. And then thinking, yeah. I don't have any milk. Like that's not possible. So maybe that's not a mess muscle memory as much as it is a memory of a physical sensation that I will never have again. 
Well, I think for me, the muscle memory is, um, and I actually do sometimes still get, it's not, it's a phantom. I don't yes. feel the feeling, but I feel the phantom feeling. And for me, the muscle memory is immediately clamping my forearms against my boobs to keep the milk from coming out. Like I did that for so long because otherwise I would leak and I got really good at it. I got good at using my baby sometimes. Like if I was holding a baby and my milk let down, I would like use the baby uh, as a prop uh-huh. to smash and like apply pressure with. So like you could like groceries. I remember like leaning into my bag of groceries so that I still will catch myself doing if I have that feeling. It doesn't happen as much nearly as often as anymore as it used to. But every now and then I actually that happened last week where I had this random out of nowhere feeling like not that I was going to feel it, but like I felt like I could feel it. Yeah, that's okay. No, I can't. I can. I was going to say that's amazing because it's been so many years, but I have a similar thing with um, like baby kicks inside you that I will have phantom ones of those and feel like what that felt like. It's not like I think I'm pregnant. There's no. Right. But it is just the it's the phantom physical sensation that's still there. And what would what would cue that? So interesting. I don't know. Do you ever get um, did you do when you were pregnant, get round ligament pain, like the pain, like low in your belly, um, kind of like on either side? Mm -hmm. Every now and then I will just get a little stabby pull on one side or the other. It's usually if I'm like in yoga and I move like I stand up really fast or something. And I'm sure it's just a ligament, but it always takes me right back where I'm like, (gasps) it's like that memory of what that felt like when it actually was because my body was supporting a growing baby. Um, kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. I think it is your turn. Yes, it's my turn. Um, well, this one is super relatable to, um, to every mom. And that is the, the magical way, the, the magical athletic way you tense your body the moment before you release your arms when you're laying them down in the crib. So here you are, you're bent over a crib and, and hopefully you remembered to let the side down before the baby Uh fell asleep. Not like me. We always forgot. Um, and so you don't have that far to go and you like lean over and lay them down. Now your lower back is in the game, right? Like hopefully you're using your knees, um, you're bending at the knees. You lay the baby down, you give it a second because you want baby to like almost like melt around your hands. Like when baby settles down and becomes heavy, that means your hands aren't what they're feeling anymore as the, as the support under them, they feel the mattress. And then you slowly pull your hands out. And if you do it just right, you can do it pretty fast without waking the baby up. But if you screw up one thing, (laughs) it's all over. And so you get so good at knowing your particular baby's like startle triggers or what it is that's going to like, is it going to be when that the fingers like go under their ribs? Like, what is the thing going to be that you need to do? Do you need to like get one hand all the way out and then put that hand on their belly while you pull the other hand out. Mm -hmm. Do you need to like do it both at once? So it's like pretty smooth. I mean, it's always different with every baby and it changes as they get older. It's like, it's like you're retraining yourself every single day. Every single time you lay your baby down, you're training yourself a a little bit to adapt to this particular version of your baby in this particular moment in time. And it's, it's just a brain trip. If you think about it. It is a brain trip. It's um like a Olympic level sport. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just took a whole memory lane with you right there, including like, I remember I would, sh- I would do shushing like while I was doing that so that there was some kind of like other cue besides the physical movement that they were supposed to stay asleep. It's so funny. So funny. Okay. I'm going to skip forward slightly. And this one popped into my Uh, muscle memory, but only for my third kid, whom I wore a whole bunch in the ergo carrier. And I wore her more often and longer than my other kids, just because she was the third. And so she was on my back a lot. And she was also on my front a lot. And I had the ergo. So this is like older baby through toddler years. But there was a specific I don't know if you remember with the ergo, it's like the padded backpack strap. And if I was going to wear her on my back, so I would put the waist part on and have that buckled. And I would get her out, usually out of the car, because often we were going to go somewhere. And then she's little, right? She might be 18 months or two. So I'm, I've got to put her on my back and then get the straps up and uh, over her and around me like a backpack. And I remember being feeling so awkward about this in the beginning, even though I was an experienced mom, I hadn't done a lot of like back baby wearing mm. and then feeling so 
confident in the movement later. It was like this, uh, this moment where I was a little bit pitched forward. So she was like balancing on my back, like a little baby Mm -hmm. koala or baby monkey. (laughs) And there's a moment of free fall. Like there's a moment where I almost have to let go of her to swing the rest of the ergo around. And then there's just the coziest little buckling in where like, we're not going anywhere for a while. Like you are attached to me. And this is a very warm, fuzzy memory for me because she was my last. I was sort of savoring those, those baby years. And I had more reason and more motivation to keep wearing her longer because we were keeping up with bigger kids. We were doing Disneyland. We were doing like, we were just a more active family because I had older kids. So it's a, it's a muscle memory. And it's also a little bit like a, like a last baby muscle memory for me that I loved. Yeah. I love that. I had an ergo, um, but I don't think I ever mastered the back wearing it. It I think it's, yeah, I remember like other people helping me get into the ergo with baby on my back. I think I only had it with Clara. So I definitely, there was times that I I have photos of her on my back in the ergo, but I don't know if I was ever able to master it on my own or maybe I just forgot, but I definitely remember that feeling of in other ways of like doing an awkward maneuver, like getting a baby off your shoulders Mm -hmm. and and like that. that Okay. Here they come. (laughs) Here they come. They're coming. There's nothing I can do now. Like it's, we're past the moment where we can reverse this action. And so you have to like, re- you have to react and like catch them and uh, that's fun. Um, okay. I'm going to skip forward just a smidge to like the toddler preschooler-ish years. And this is that awkward dance of trying to get like a toddler or older into a shopping cart. Oh. So, oh yeah. Especially if you're pregnant while you're doing it. So basically when they're really little and if they're wearing boots or like clunky, uh-huh. um, uh, like clunky sneakers or forget about it because in my world they fall off yeah or get caught yeah right so they can't when they're little they can't help you at all they don't line up their feet with the holes and (laughs) you're basically shoving them in like you have to you have to use the momentum if you're pregnant this is already hard but either way it's not easy you have to like use the momentum to start getting them in you're kind of going over with a heavy kid and you're trying to line up their their legs and sometimes they straighten their legs and that's no good. But sometimes uh-huh. they're just like flop them all over the place. And like, that's even worse. So you somehow have to get the angle right and like ease them in. When they're older, they start to help with the getting in part. Like I remember like kind of almost like sitting their bottom in with their legs splayed out and then yeah. going, okay, now tuck one leg and I'll kind of hold you. And then we'll help you. Like I'll shift you and you can tuck the other. They do get better at helping, but they still get stuck on the way out. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to pull them out and they're like banging their shins against the inside and their shoes are stuck. And it's just like, it's kind of one of those ones that's so frustrating because no matter how good you get at it, it's never perfect. Well, and you don't want to yell. It's not like a, it's not like a moment where, not that yelling at our kids is ever like the goal, but like you'd feel bad yelling at a kid. In most cases, they're not purposely trying to make your life difficult. They just don't have like the body awareness of what what you need them to do to streamline this maneuver. So it's like, there's no one to be mad at really. It's just like, and back to our height difference. I just remember feeling like I didn't have the arm strength to get them as high as I needed to, to un like the bigger they got, if they were three or four years old, like I needed to lift them all the way out to unstick those little feet from the holes. And I didn't have the height. I either didn't have the arm length or the arm strength. And so we were just like locked in this very awkward dance. I do remember taking boots and shoes off before I did the maneuver because that did make it a little bit easier, but you know, and certain kinds of pants were worse Mm -hmm. than other leggings on it. Like leggings weren't great. They like create a smooth and streamlined sliding (laughs) in and out, but like bulky pants with a cuff or, um, snow pants. I mean, I'm just like shuddering thinking about it. Well, and for us, like I said, flip-flops just meant often the flip-flop would actually fall off just while they were riding in the cart. They just would lose shoes all the time because it was dangling. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day, and it could seriously use a refresh. But you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. 
I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Okay, we're back and we're just going to keep on going. We are having so much fun, everyone. I hope you are having fun uh, reliving this with us. Here's my muscle memory, Megan. And now I'm going a little bit backwards, back into the baby years. Picture a baby, an older baby, maybe a one-year-old, in a full-body, zip-up, footed pajamas. And you're lifting them either out of the crib or maybe they've been sitting on the ground or in the high chair. And there is this sensation, because they're what they're wearing is all one piece. There's nary a sock or a waistband or like a diaper sticking out. It's like one piece of pajama. And it always reminded me of like a toy, like a baby doll. And there was something even in the, in the thick of the trenches of motherhood years, I felt like this is my baby. Like it felt like like a cartoon baby or like a like a toy and something about those. I, we had a lot of the Carter's like fleecy zip up footed pajamas and we were like a Muppet. Yes. And the fact that it just <laughs> there was something that happened to their little body when you picked them up because there was like gravity could their legs couldn't hang down. Really, the legs were being pulled up by the foot of the pajamas. Does that make sense? So it put them yeah. into this like as if you had poured baby into a baby shaped mold, which is why it felt like a toy. And I mean that in a really warm, fuzzy kind of way. And still, like if you let me, if listener, if you have a baby that I could pick up, who's like nine months old and wearing those footy pajamas, I just would want it just for that sensation. And, and the clothing really made it somehow feel different. So I have to share that uh, my kids, still got footy pajamas up until I think like last year was maybe the year that I realized it's really hard to get matching footy pajamas for kids that range and have the age range that mine do. 24 Um, years old. Yes, exactly. So I didn't this year, but I will say that um, Clara still every now and then will wear like some of her old footy pajamas and I will tell her to curl up next to me on the couch and tell her she feels like a stuffed animal. Like I'm like, I just want to hug you like a stuffed animal. And I just like kind of squish it because you're right. She's like, uniform. Yes. Everywhere. Everything is like smooth and squishy. Yes. Everything is contained. It's like in my, in my case, it's like a, you know, now a teenager, um, like a teenage stuffed animal, yes. which is a little weird, but it is. It to- I can, and I remember so well that sensation of them being little and the only thing sticking out that's skin are like clammy hands and yep. cheeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. It is um, the best. It is. It is. Well, I, and the next one I have was actually the one that um, 
was the one that sparked this idea for me for this episode. So when we were talking with Joanna about potty training and all the, you know, um, indignities that can go along with that and the mom muscle memory of like getting in front of things. This is like, that's the theme for this one. It's the sensation of trying to like pull down your toddler's pooped in pull up without getting the poop on their legs or your hands. <laughs> now that is like Olympics, like Olympic level, because, you know, if they've got at all chubby legs, it's first of all, you have to get them to stand the right way. They have to stand slightly bow-legged, but not too bow-legged. And you can sometimes like rip the sides, yeah. but that's playing a dangerous game <laughs> because if you rip that side too quickly or you don't have your hand like under the or poopy the poop pull up really heavy or the poops really heavy, or it's like, it's like lopsided uh -huh. or like it shifts to one side, it might just fall out. <laughs> so you have to really carefully pull it down. And same with underwear, like on a preschooler, actually, we might've been talking about underwear um, because I remember us talking about like, then you just kind of throw it away. Right. So it's like that the, the leg holes aren't quite big enough to like navigate this without there being some casualties. Right. There's going to be a smear. You just don't know where it's going to be. Oh my gosh. This is so funny. It's very, very specific. And yes, we laughed very hard about it that night. I just have to appreciate the fact that you and I got to leave that conversation and just think warm, fuzzy thoughts about muscle memory. And Joanna is actually still she had to go home train that night and, actually and like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> deal with the poopy pull up, but we've paid our dues, I guess. Um, well in the same vein of, um, anticipating disaster just before it strikes, I just have this memory of how good I got at catching a very fast moving hand before it pulled my hair, mm. grabbed my earring knocked my water glass over. So now this baby, this imaginary baby's like, yeah, eight to 14 months, something like that, like older baby approaching a year. And they get very interested in everything within reach. And you realize exactly how far their reach is and the things that they will go for most quickly. Like some <laughs> yeah. of them love sunglasses and some of them love, I mean, I would never wear dangly earrings with a baby that age, but maybe I was dressed up for a, a, rare date night or something. They, they're going to go for the thing, the shiniest object. And there's like this fat hand moving so quickly through the air <laughs> and you get really good at just redirecting the hand. It's not like you're, you're not like scolding them or anything. You're just right. like, Oop, here, just grab it, like, yeah, it somewhere else. Yep. Put that hand somewhere else. Um, and yeah, so there you go. The next one that I was thinking of that's kind of related is holding a, well, and this is another one where it changes a lot as they get older. So basically bathing a baby mm -hmm. is like wildly different from say a three month old to a six month old to a nine month old. Like yeah. at one stage, they're just kind of like laying there and maybe you have them in a, like a little plastic tub. And as long as you have a hand under them and you know, whatever, like it's, they're not putting up that much of a fuss. The next thing you know, they're sitting, but like flopping over, like you have to hold them up because they don't, they're not that steady. And the, the tub makes it easy for them to kind of flop around, Right, but you still have to wash them. And then you have to get them in and out. Like there's so much happening, so much like slipperying, yes. slipperiness and squirminess. And like, you have to have all stuff where you need it. And you have to be able to like hold them with one hand and do the other stuff with the other hand and rinse with one hand. Um, and then they get older and it's that either holding them by the wrist or because they keep trying to stand up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like mm -hmm. you're holding them by the wrist or the arm or the shoulder or something. And you're not, you don't want to pull them. Like it's, it's that delicate I don't want to damage you, right. baby. And yet I really need you to just do this thing, please, because I can't keep you in the tub otherwise. And I'm trying to wash you and get you out of here, especially if you had a baby who didn't like being in the tub or a yeah. toddler who wanted out. I mean, it's kind of making me sweat. Just yes, thinking about I, it. I feel slightly anxious, too, when you are describing this and it's making me have so much empathy for the moms who just feel so physically zapped by the end of the day. And then you think, well, I didn't work out. And like, I slept okay yeah, last <laughs> night. And like, I didn't, you know, nobody, like I didn't get run over by a train exactly, but the physicality of certain stages of motherhood. And you just described one that's like, it's physically kind of challenging and it's also mentally exhausting. So yes. Um, well then I shall do mine that is also related to wet, <laughs> wet babies. 
and toddlers. I am not sure exactly what this muscle memory is. It's more of a sense memory. I'm going to call it a sense memory because my kids were all babies in Arizona. And so we did a lot of outdoor water things in the summer or really more likely in the spring and fall because the summer is just too dang hot. You just were in swim diapers and swimsuits and rash guards a lot of the time, whether it was a splash pad, um, a little like kiddie pool, your own backyard water table. And there is like there is a wet toddler kind of like how there's a wet puppy uh, sense. Wet toddlers have a sense like they don't have any just like the um, grocery cart example. They, They are not yet informed about how their wet body operates any differently than a dry body. So they're, they're a constant risk for slipping. They are constantly like moving their wet body, dripping on places. And then I just remember the peeling off of, um, my kids all wore rash cards, boy or girl kid, because we needed the most sun protection. So I, we had a lot of the, like the long sleeve rash guards or a rash guard swimsuit and the peeling off of those arms of a rash guard that would like get stretched out. And then the the peeling off of a swim diaper or the ripping the sides of a swim diaper. Um, so it's just an overall experience. And yet we went through all that almost every day because what else were we going to do? It was hot out and the kids loved the water. Um, and then you add the smell of sunscreen to that and, Mm -hmm. um, like how sticky they are. It's hard to get them dressed afterwards. It's like, it's basically everything we know about getting, bigger kids changed after a swim only with zero help because toddlers, again, they have no way to know how to help you help them get dry after being wet. So that one was a little amorphous, but I spent so many years of my life in that, in that wet toddler phase. Well, I think, I mean, I didn't even have this on my list, but when you were talking about this, it reminded me of like the flip side of that, the seasonal flip side, the climate flip side and that is getting a toddler into a snowsuit and boots and mittens. There's like a very specific kind of, um, order of operations that has to happen. Their sleeve doesn't get caught up in their, you know, like their, um, sweater or shirt sleeve doesn't get caught up in their coat sleeve. So you have to hold it while you're pulling it down. You might want to put their mittens on first so that the coat, you know, arms go over the mittens and hold them in place. And these are all things that you it's not even like you could go in with a checklist and, and know this like right from the get go, because there's going to be kids for whom that's not needed or like sizes of kids for whom that's not needed or times of year or activities where for whatever reason, like you don't actually have to do that. And then you have this one kid who, you know, is going to be the one who freaks out if snow touches their wrist. So you better make sure (laughs) like it's completely covered. And so you have to learn, like my point, I guess, is that you don't even always know in going in exactly what you have to do to get ahead of some of these things. You have to learn them mm-hmm. in real time with your specific kid suited to the specific circumstance that you're in. And it constantly changes. It constantly changes and you don't get any credit for these skills you are learning. That's what I tried to say in the opening is like, yeah. nobody talks about how good you get at removing a pull-up without dumping poop on the floor. Like that is not a skill that goes anywhere, but it should be. It should be recognized. Should be. I agree. <laughs> okay. Well, here's another kind of sweet one. And this was more became like a ritual for me that I just had a muscle memory of, but I realized years and years after I had been doing it that every single time I lifted a kid out of a car seat buckle. So from the very beginning, from infant seats all the way to, you know, four years old, probably in a, in a five point harness. And when I would get them out of the car, I would kiss them on the cheek as I got them out every single time, like to the extent that it was one motion, like unbuckle, do the chest clip, help them get their arms out, put my hands under their little armpits. And then as I sort of like pulled their body out of the car seat, I would kiss them on the cheek, the cheek closest to me in the car. Mm -hmm. And um, I have caught myself doing it with my nieces or any other, you know, um, child whom I am allowed to get in and out of a car. And I don't know who knows the first time I did that, but I never, ever didn't do it. So I love that. I actually was at a grocery store uh, a couple weeks ago and saw a mom pushing her baby in a 
like maybe not a really little baby, but maybe like a nine month old baby in the cart Mm -hmm. facing her. And she was kind of bent over and talking and she kept kissing the baby on the forehead. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did the exact same thing. Like pushing and you would make, it would make your um, trip down the aisle extremely jerky because you'd Uh push a little bit and then you'd stop and kiss the baby. And then you'd push a little bit and then you'd stop and kiss. And I just remember doing that. And like, it was like we were in our own little world Yeah. Um, that really, like we'd really kind of tune everybody else out. And it was really sweet it to was see. really sweet. Well, I, I mean, on that exact same note with Violet, when she was older, she was my grocery store sidekick forever. She was probably three, three and four in the grocery cart. And we'd play a game where I'd, she'd kiss me and then I'd push the cart really fast as if by giving me a kiss, it like gave us the zoomies. So we would just oh. play that game through, but we were, she was older, like preschool there. So it's all these universal things we do. Well, here's another one um, that's maybe more for slightly older kids. And Sarah, I want you to put yourself back in this place because it's like, you have to kind of think about it, put yourself here. So say you are at uh, one of your older kids, like school performances okay. and you're holding whichever the preschooler was in your lap at the time. And there's like, a, a tense softness in your arms. That's the only way I can describe it. Your arms are around the little one mm-hmm. and you're holding them firmly in place, but loosely mm-hmm. so that they don't feel like you're smashing them. It's, it's like a loose, it's like a loose tense tenseness. Mm-hmm. I can, it's mm-hmm. the only way I can describe it, but it's also fluid because if at any moment they jerk, like they're going to jump down off your lap or something. Yeah. You have to be ready. Now, you might actually let them scoot down and put their feet on the ground and stand up, but your hands aren't going to move. Right. And now you're on alert. Like now, you know that at any moment they could go on un- like a duck under your arms. They could bolt. I know you have a bolter. Yes. So it's like everything you're doing. And you might be carrying on a conversation with the mom next to you. You might be watching intently. You might even be doing this with one hand while you film or take pictures of the performance. Like all of these things could be happening with multiple other stimuli and activities happening, but your whatever arm is on your little kid yes. never forgets to do its job. Yes. You're, it's like your body has created the invisible fence for them or like the, <laughs> you know, like the boundary. And you're right. You, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be holding them tight the whole time, but the message is clear. As you were talking, I was imagining, I had the this muscle memory is not of the mom. It's the kid muscle. You know, when they do that thing to slide off your lap where they slightly arch their lower back. So they're going to go from like seated to like slide off your back yes. like in one little movement. And the, the little stinkers can do that really fast. Like they're sitting on your lap and all of a sudden they're not because they've done this little hip maneuver and all of a sudden they're off. Yeah. Uh. Um, well, this what just happened this morning and this brought back a muscle memory that I didn't even remember was a thing, but I was just this morning. Reed is almost 12. He was eating breakfast and we have bar counter bar stools at the kitchen counter. And I was walking behind him and I, I don't know why I did this, but I thought I needed to scoot him in like, like a little kid, like you would help them scoot closer. And then I was like, Oh wait, he weighs over a hundred pounds. Like he does, he knows how to scoot his own chair, but it reminded me of constantly helping preschoolers like again, who don't know how to sit in chairs, don't know how to sit up to the table and always like going behind a chair. And like, you kind of want the kid to help you, like help you help me. I'm going to scoot you in and you don't want to pinch their fingers against the edge of the table. And so that was just kind of funny this morning that I was like, wait, I don't, I don't have to scoot anybody in anymore, but clearly I'm ready if, if needed, (laughs) if needed. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I'm going to wrap up my list with, um, I guess one that's not exactly a specific incident type of muscle memory, but almost like a category. So early on, you mentioned like deflect, like the quick deflection, the quick, um, like staving off disaster, Mm -hmm. you know, baby's about to hook their finger in your hoop earring. You block that hand, like, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And there's something else that sort of is in that same category, um, where it's like, you want to interact with your toddler, but they're sticky. Mm-hmm. Like their cheeks are really sticky or their hands are really sticky or like there's something about them that is distasteful at the moment and you just don't want to touch it. So you actually learn how to cuddle your toddler without touching the offensive parts of their body. Yeah. I remember grabbing like by the wrist and like 
turning them around and coming behind with like for a big bear hug squeeze and I'd kiss the top of their head, but I wanted their faces like nowhere near me at that moment. Yeah. Um, you come up with all of these like like maneuvers to get around being touched by the stickies. I love it so much. It's so true. And how often are they um, sticky and undesirable? Almost always. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't know where their hands have been. So you're like, right. Oh. Or that, right. I'm thinking like, yeah, in a park where like maybe they've had something to eat and then they yeah. went and put their hands in the dirt. And it's not like I'm, I'm not a germaphobe no. and I'm not dirt averse, but I just don't necessarily want it all over my face right. or my clothes while we're out. So I'm just like, okay, let's, I've got these wipes in my purse. I just have to kind of swing you around yeah. and hold you with one arm. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I need to wipe you down. Right, right. <laughs> you, you will be wiped down at this moment. I love it. Well, this was so, so fun. And um, again, shout out to Joanna over a glass of wine uh, and potty training stories. This this episode idea was launched. Yeah, love it. Well, just a reminder too that our sponsor Auto Approve makes it really easy to save money on your car loan. And if you refinance with Auto Approve, they'll send you $100. Find out how much you could save on your monthly car payment and get your free quote at autoapprove.com slash mom hour. And we'll link that up in the show notes too. Yeah, definitely go check that out. And excited about this. Coming up on Friday, we have one of our Voices episodes. Megan, you are chatting with our good friend Amy Clark of the Book Gang podcast. And you're talking about creating and cultivating a reading life as a mom, right? Yeah, we've got, it's a great conversation and we've got some hacks that might kind of help you re, I don't know, restructure your life a little bit to make more time for reading. And also just some encouragement if you're not in a reading season about how to kind of get back into some books. I love that. And on the blog this week, we have a really great post from our contributor, Jennifer, about water safety uh, for coming up this summer. She has been a swim instructor for a long, long time and knows a ton about keeping kids safe around water. So that is up on the blog. We will link that up in the show notes as well. So that's it from us. Megan, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.